0: If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please see the parents menu at ICDL.com, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, for the virtual floor time consultations for parents. There you can schedule an appointment, look at the virtual DIR home program services, and see the weekly parent support meetings registration. We aim to help you implement the developmental individual differences relationship-based model at home, taking into account where your child is developmentally and their individual sensory processing differences within your safe and nurturing relationship to promote and support their developmental potential. You're listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Hello, welcome back listeners, I'm Daria Brown, and I have with me this week returning guest psychologist Kathy Platzman from Floortime Atlanta, and we are going to be discussing something that's been on my mind a lot lately. The more I read of self-advocates on Twitter, the more blog posts I read of autistic self-advocates, the more I think, I'm just like that. And then I did podcasts podcast with Maude LaRue and Mike, um, Mike Fields about ADHD. And then Joanne and Millie and Joanne said she has ADHD. And I'm like, I have those things too. <laughs> and so while Maude said, oh, it's like Psych 101. We read about all the different psychological disorders and we say, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. You never know uh, what is true, what isn't. And I thought, who better to ponder this with than a clinical psychologist kathy Platzman. so welcome back kathy
1: thank you so much daria it's always good to be here so you've come up with another good question for me
0: (laughs) yeah i mean i guess just the 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 grand question that jumps out to me is um seemingly i never had challenges growing up i i I always felt different than all the other kids, but as far as I know, I didn't have motor planning challenges. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really have regulation issues, although I might as an adult. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it just was a pretty typical childhood, I think, mm-hmm. yet I read all of these things about the way people process and the more neurodivergent people with diagnoses that I interact with, who have all been ADHD, not necessarily autistic, the more I think, oh, my goodness, like this person and I get each other in a way that I haven't felt with normal people in my life. And I realize, like, I think I'm a bit neurodivergent, which wouldn't be crazy because my son oh and crazy isn't the right word either because I'm learning now from the self-advocates about language that we use and you know terms terms that are not appropriate to use anymore but it's not far-fetched shall I say that my son who is autistic whose personality is exactly like mine got some traits from me so let's dive in and (laughs) why don't you let us know what your experience is and how, how you help navigate that with parents. Is there a point of getting any kind of diagnosis for parents that think they are? What would be the value of that or not? Right. And anything else that comes up?
1: Well, okay, let's just kick this can down the road and see where it lands, right? Um, first of all, it's a really good question. Um, we are dealing with neurodivergence all the time. To some extent, neurodiversity is defined by the culture, not by the nervous system. Because some historical epics, some different societies are tolerant for different things. Um, my father was born in 1909. And i he was he, he literally went to school in a little red schoolhouse. And I used to ask him, Dad, what would happen to a kid with ADHD? And he said, What do you mean? And I said, Well, Would a kid like that have problems in school did you have problems in school like that and he kept saying what do you mean what do you mean what do you mean and then finally he said are you asking did this teacher kick him out of the classroom and i said i guess dad and he goes well we just didn't see the problem if you couldn't pay attention you left that day and you went and worked on a farm there was no problem what's what are you talking about you know so that tells me that an historical epic can have a lot to do with whether somebody has a neurodivergence. Um, we were talking before the podcast about different cultures will tolerate different things at different times. So again, part of this is culturally determined. And of course, part of it is you inherit your parents' nervous systems just as surely as you inherit their eye color, their skin color. You you. So oftentimes we hear our children struggle with things that we struggled with, but somebody might have a diagnosis and somebody might not. And it's that diagnosis piece, I think, that you were that you originally kind of, it's so interesting, right, to see. Another thing that runs in families is just, You look at somebody has a bipolar disorder, somebody has autism in the family, somebody has a really tough case of ADHD, somebody's got a mood disorder, and you think, are, this, are these all different manifestations of exactly the same nervous system? You know, it's a good question. And so when parents wanna know, should I get diagnosed, would that give me any help? Would that give me relief? Um, it's a really good question. Again, it's just a kick around question to see. Um, I'm glad I'm a DIR person though, because I don't get overwhelmed with that kind of question. In fact, it's a, it's a question we deal with every, every single day. Um, the outward manifest another, another complication, the outward manifestations of something doesn't mean that you are that at the root, you know, I may, that would be the one person has bipolar in the family and another person has, um, autism. Uh, uh, so we have different solutions to our nervous systems. And we share those oftentimes as a family, sometimes we really have sympathy for our children. And sometimes we say, I got over it. Why can't you, those things will happen sometimes um so let's think about that a little bit more um when when you go ahead and see a nervous system that might not be having a good time in this society during this historical epoch in this particular culture there are a lot of complications first of all we're dealing with something that's developmental not acquired you were born this way you had this wiring and this wiring did well in this environment and not well in another environment. That's a that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, so it's the way you're wired and the environment can either support or irritate who you are, right? So oftentimes you will hit a wall. You won't be ADD. Nobody ever thought you had an attention problem until you went to school or nobody ever thought there was any problem until you got married. Um, and And so, A lot of times we can really, we we get all this funny static as a clinician, all this information, and we don't know how to make make peace with it. We don't know how to put it in order or anything like that. Um, But we will often hear that a kid does well on vacation and doesn't do well when they come home. They do well at school, but they don't do well at church. Um, They did fine as a child, but then as an adolescent, they didn't do very well. And, and so we have, a lot, we have a lot that we need to take in. So thank heavens, the DIR model can actually take in all of this stuff. Um, sometimes when you want to know if you have a diagnosis, you, wanna, you want a doctor to give you a medicine. <laughs> you know, if the Ritalin works, does that mean I'm ADHD? And, and of course, as a psychologist, we, boo, we boo-hoo all that stuff. We don't, we don't like people doing backwards engineering on all this stuff. But on the other hand, sometimes that's one of the little pieces of data that we have. Um, The problem with ADHD and medication is psychostimulants, which which are usually the first choice, uh, they help everybody. Uh, What do you think I'm drinking right now? I'm drinking coffee, right? So that's a psychostimulant. Um, Do I have ADHD? Well, I don't know, but coffee makes me feel better. That's not very satisfying to people who are really trying to figure out what their kids inherited from them and why a particular thing is so difficult for them and nobody else. Um, So uh, you have to have a game plan, not just try the medication and see if it works to see what you really have um, and, and how you can stay organized as you're figuring it out. Another, well, go ahead.
0: That resonates with me because um, again, the goal of this podcast is not to diagnose me or me to think I'm diagnosing myself, but just to give an example, the environment that I grew up in, I really excelled at school. It was easy for me, I was the teacher's pet every year, all through grade school, high school, I was involved in activities. Maybe in a different environment, that wouldn't have been the case. And for example, when I went into university, I struggled because it wasn't that small classroom nurturing environment. All of a sudden it was 300 kids and you had to study on your own. And I never had to study in grade school or high school ever. I just did really well, picked up stuff, really good memory, like my son who remembers every detail of everything. I remembered everything and I was able to regurgitate it. All of a sudden you have to start to think in university and you really have to know how to learn. And I really struggled with that. And I juggled majors a bunch of times until psychology resonated with me, and I ended up doing a master's in personality psychology. Why? Maybe because I was trying to figure out who I was. But in different environments, um, the opposite can happen, and we hear about that all of the time too, how and you gave a few examples of that. so it's that that definitely resonates with me. And the other thing you said that I thought was really interesting made me think of not only that, but who you interact with. So think about kids maybe who have foster parents and get juggled from house to house or whatever, Um, maybe different, well, it's sort of like the cultural context that you gave the example of, like in this household, things worked in this household, it didn't. But the siblings, like people clash with other people. Um, Different, you mentioned, you don't notice it till you get married. Well, people that have multiple marriages, maybe in that first, Uh, relationship there was just a struggle because the interactions were uh, setting off each other's nervous systems versus another interaction where they calmed each other's nervous systems or whatever so there's so many different factors it's it's like you know it's the way life is factors unknown variables everywhere
1: well constantly changing That's the problem, constantly changing. Time also, guess what we do as we grow? Our nervous systems mature. So we can have a real easy elementary school and then hormones hit and your adolescence hits and you unravel a lot of these things. There's even another complication. And that is a lot of these diagnoses are what we call shadow diagnoses, which means we think we're looking at the problem, but what we're looking at is a shadow of the problem. ADHD is the most popular diagnosis. It's the most often given diagnosis, psychiatric diagnosis. The reason is it's a shadow. Oftentimes, you can have ADHD, but oftentimes it's an add on. You get it for free. It comes with, you know, it comes with OCD. It comes with depression, it comes with anxiety, it comes with learning disabilities, it comes with global delays, it comes with language problems, it comes with motor problems, it comes with emotional problems. I mean, the day we have a big disappointment, the dog passes away, something unusual happens, you have a trauma, oh, I can't concentrate, I can't remember anything, what'd you just say? You know, we find ourselves having symptoms of ADHD, but they may be shadows of what the real problem is. So again, going back to that, you know, that model that we love is really the most calming thing. Um, I think it was a zero to three um, publication. It's now zero to five or zero to eight. I don't know. But um, years ago, there was a diagnosis that you could give called multi-system developmental disorder, MSDD. And it boils down to sometimes you can have an individual difference that's so big. It makes you look autistic, for example, and if you fix the thing, that one little thing that you've got such a severe problem in, you lose your diagnosis, which was hopeful. It's hopeful because people oftentimes want life to get easier and easier and easier for kids, not harder and harder and harder. So that I wish we still had the ability to give that diagnosis, which is really a wait and see diagnosis while we, while we work really hard with our young children. Um, but anyway, that's the way of the world. Now you, now uh, the diagnostic world, that culture has changed again. Uh, but the DIR model has not. So I look to the DIR model for a game plan to help parents figure out what their diagnoses might be, what in the family is the neurodiversity. You know, it's just, it's almost like feeling like you're doing a crossword puzzle or like you're Sherlock Holmes or, you know, the game is on, let's figure this out. It's a lot of fun. So if you look at the DIR model, and you remember that what the functional, emotional developmental capacities are, is the core of development that is relating to others, communicating with others, reasoning and thinking. If that's the bottom line for us, let's remember that the, and and look at those first develop, especially the first developmental level, the ability to stay calm, focused, alert, while taking in information through all sensory modalities and staying at least vaguely connected to somebody while you're doing that stuff. That is the stuff that if you've got ADD, if you've got anything, again, that first developmental capacity gets shaky. A lot of trauma models these days and a lot of um, psychological models are wising up to the fact that if you can't be calm and focused and alert, nothing good happens after that. So a lot of our therapeutic models, I'm very happy to say, are shifting towards calming the body calming the mind then see what you have left so oftentimes when we see a child or an adult who has real regulation difficulties in the one of the big three areas attention behavior or mood we get very interested in just fixing that capacity and then see what you have that's called going beyond the diagnosis right let's really just look at those functional emotional capacities if we find one that is tough that's suffering that, that, that needs some support, well, then we go to the I for the why, you know? Well, why are you having d- difficulty staying calm, focused and alert while taking in information and staying connected to people? And so when we begin this hunt in, in the DIR model, what we have to do is say, accept that this is gonna take a while to figure out. Just accept that fact and, and enjoy the, the journey enjoy noticing and coming in and saying, you know, this works for me when I go to, uh, when I'm studying math, my child doesn't have any ADHD problems in math, but man, anytime it's language focused, I start hearing, why can't he pay attention? Okay, you know, we'll write down maybe an individual difference that way. The way to think about individual differences too might, might help parents sc- slow down Slow their roll, as we like to say. What is your nervous system really doing for you? It's shuffling incoming information so that you know through all the senses. It has to shuffle it so that you know what to pay attention to and what to ignore. Well, that's a very difficult thing. And so if you can't shuffle correctly, you have to ask why. You know, the journey of information in, maybe everything's getting in, but you can't shuffle it. You can't remember it. You can't integrate it. Maybe on one day you can, and one day you can't. All that stuff helps us. Um, so if you start looking at the D as constricted possibly in the first developmental capacity or all the way through actually, just get an idea of what those functional capacities are. Then ask, why is that struggling? Why is that constricted in, and in what contexts and with what people? And on and on and on and on and on. Then you're really on to going beyond the diagnosis Then you can calm down saying, everybody thinks he has ADHD, but I know it might be more complicated than that. Um, So you want to find a DIR clinician immediately, right? So that you can figure out. Sometimes kids can take all the information in, but they can't process it. So that would be like a learning disability. You know, your visual processing is off, but your auditory processing is on. Um, Maybe that's something that you will learn. Because the minute you learn that, like I always use when I teach this the example of auditory processing. You know, I t- I kind of speak loud, I kind of speak fast. When I get excited, I get louder and faster. That's just me. But if I see a kid who's I know has auditory processing problems or I suspect, I fool around with it. I get real slow. I talk so calmly. I don't get, and then I noticed he understood me that way. She got what I was saying. Now I'm going to speed up. Now I'm going to get loud and excited. Now I'm going to get my, you know, thing rolling. Uh Uh-oh, didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it. So I have a lot of little data points like that. Um, And then you see the connection is real when I slow the auditory transcript down, so to speak, right? So you can investigate the eye and have a lot of fun while you're doing it. So really, if you stop to think of what the diagnostic dilemma is, it's as follows. Uh, Think of yourself or your child as a triangle sitting in a bucket of grape jelly, you know, or murky water, and you can only see what's above the waterline. That's the only thing you have. What you might see is a kid who is called naughty. Um, You might have a kid that is underachieving, showing a lot of anxiety appearing to have attention problems, uh, anger problems. Maybe you notice the kid is argumentative. That's all you have to go on. But what you see below the water level, what you can't see is below that water level and that's where you do the investigation. I think another rule of thumb that I use and certainly a lot of the clinicians that I know and I'm lucky lucky enough to work with some psychiatrists who be, who belong to this um, this school of thought is If you look at that triangle, of course all you see is above, but what you see below, look at the bottom of that triangle and try to fix what's on the bottom layer. Then everything kind of gets better. What is on that bottom layer is usually mood, mood or sensory processing. If you can get mood stabilized, often you can then see, oh my gosh, there's an attention problem. So think of it this way. I, I know so many cases like this, child looks ADHD, so you give him a psychostimulant or you treat him medically. Nothing works. Just didn't work, didn't work. Oh, you think, well, he's not ADHD because the Ritalin didn't work. Then you stabilize his mood and all of a sudden the attention problems are so obvious because the mood got good and stable. He was no longer very anxious or depressed, but now, oh my gosh, you can't pay attention. So sometimes clarifying the mood gets you to see what else is going on. So sometimes it goes like this, psychostimulant didn't work, mood stabilizing worked. Now you can take the mood stabilizer away and give them the Ritalin again and the Ritalin works this time. You know, so I've seen that over and over and over again. So it's okay to be confused. It's okay to know that this is gonna take a very, very long time to figure out, but we're gonna work by looking at those developmental capacities and getting that first one, especially quite stabilized, get that ability to stay calm and feel good. Think about what we do in DIR. Sometimes we get a little criticized for it because when we, we, we don't want to put a lot of pressure on a kid until we have forever, but what we want to do is have a really good relationship with them. Then as a trusted friend, maybe you can say to this kid, I think we ought to look at this. If they trust you, then you can do stuff. But if you don't spend the time getting that relationship, you might as well forget it, right? Think of yourself when you uh, learned how to ride a bike. You didn't learn to ride a bike when a complete stranger said, no, go ahead, I've got you. I'm taking the training wheels off. You did it because your mom or your dad or your big brother or sister or somebody you loved and trusted said, I got your back on this one. I'm not gonna let you fall. Then you go like, okay, I can ride a bike now it's 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 the opportunity it's again an opportunity we don't want to steal from kids but you can't give them the opportunity till you have a good relationship it's just the same with adults looking at i wonder if i have autism i wonder if i'm on the spectrum i wonder i wonder if that's what my kid got from me well maybe they didn't get autism from you but maybe they got your nervous system and maybe your nervous system maybe a part of your nervous system is what is making your child look autistic and going beyond the diagnosis is kind of like the most important thing to do. Just saying that's diagnostic, you've got, you've got, you've got, you've got, that doesn't really help. It's like, this is hard for you, this is easy for you. You You can feel yourself going back backwards from what might be a diagnosis. So sometimes in my office, I think I diagnose, I diagnose equal, I give diagnoses and I take diagnoses away in a ratio of one to one. For every diagnosis that I seem to give, I seem to take one away. (laughs) I give one to somebody and I take it away from somebody else. Um, But that's my world in the office. Um, But parents live in a world at home. So they often have incredible amounts of information that I don't have. And so that's why we can't do this alone. As a clinician, I can't do it in the office but I can play and get a relationship in the office while I continue to ask parents, give me this information. Give me this information. You know, um, they know every context, every relative, every teacher, every situation, they know everything. And I know in my office or during a Zoom call or in your house for that one hour when everybody was on their best behavior, I don't have much data. So that's why another part of the model where we consider parents the cornerstones, it couldn't be more true than when you're trying to get diagnostic clarity.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and uh, a few things I thought of while you were speaking. One is that there are a lot of families that think or know that there's no incidences of diagnoses of any kind in the family, yet the child has and Perhaps there are undiagnosed people in the family. <laughs> That's think a possibility, it. but it could be that that um, for some reason this is the first time this has come up in a large family. So, what would you say to
1: them? Well, absolutely, it it, it happens a lot, and you know, you think of your own family, right? I come from an anxious family. Um, uh, and nobody thinks anxiety is anxiety because everybody's got exactly the same, right. So no, no, you know, Thanksgiving dinner with my extended family is hilarious because somebody's got OCD, somebody's got anxiety, somebody's, you know, all, all the different, but nobody thinks anything's abnormal. You know, if somebody says we better check that stove for the fifth time to see if we turn the oven off, it's like, sure. All right, let's just do it. But, um, but it, but when you get invited to someone else's house for Thanksgiving, <laughs> you can stand out like a sore thumb. Um, yeah, so it's just what you get used to. And everything is an interaction between the world and your nervous system. So everything is. So sometimes the world has changed, you know. Um, think of, uh, I, I don't know if if you're familiar with Bron- Yuri Bronfenbrenner's um social ecological systems where, you know, there are like five concentric circles and the one is the individual and then it's the family and then it's the community and then it's the culture basically. And um, so we, you know, we say the child and the family and then you write school, neighborhood, friends, Mm -hmm. clubs and then out there it's like cultural values, medical systems, laws, but somebody redid it because of the internet. And it's, and it's got the five concentric circles and everything says the internet, the internet, the internet, the internet, um, that's a real changer. And that makes people look like they've got diagnoses. Um, it causes the worst stress in the world. How many of us are not aware of video addiction, right? Um, and, and how many of us realize that we've, we are in the midst of, uh, hopefully knock on wood, coming out of a big cultural a worldwide cultural devastating uh, pandemic. It changed us. It gave more of us diagnoses. It took some diagnoses away for some kids. Um, from my perspective, some children inexplicably flourished during the pandemic and all these Zoom calls that we did with each other. It's the, it's the minority. But again, all these things happen to us. So sometimes when somebody's like new, the first person in the family to get formally diagnosed with Mm. It can come to, it can come out of the blue. By the way, it can come from um, a prenatal insult. All these things seem to correlate with that kind of thing. But again, it's it's you have to be comfortable with not knowing, um, and also not take away the not not invalidate. Not invalidate the situation for the person with the diagnosis. Well, nobody in our family has, you know, that kind of thing. You don't want to put that kind of pressure on an individual. You want to say, "This is who you are, and this is who we are, and this is what we share and what we don't share." And you got diagnosed, and um, your cousin didn't, and that's okay. Um, but it's it's really hard and it's really confusing. Daria, you're you're making me laugh because there is any time. it's certainly true with my own children but anytime we see a problem with a particular kid moms and dads have to figure out that was my family that was your family right it's like a parlor game almost right <laughs> um whose nervous system did he get there's an excitement about it but there's also a like little bit of a blame thing about it and a little validation about it too it's really complicated
0: or the mix of certain things from one certain things from the other and right. yeah Right. you really made me me think of something virginia spielman said in a podcast we did a few years ago which i can relate to as a former college radio dj the uh vu meter so if you have a big mixing board sound where you're going to play music from um analog back in the analog days um <laughs> right. right. So the diagnosis to me, I'm thinking is, is like turning on the machine, like uh, it's on or off, but really the most important thing is where are all the different meters? So here's the level of this. Here's the level of this. Here's the level of this. So this one's low, this one's high. This one's normal. This one's normal. This one's normal. This one's low. This one's high. And then
1: we're saying also, you can adjust it in the booth to make it just right
0: yeah and and situationally that impacts everything too, so it's we we've heard this on other podcasts I've done too like it it don't focus on the diagnosis so much as exactly what you're saying, like what certain individual differences do you have, when does this happen, in which situations with which people, et cetera et cetera, so that you really have an individual profile for each child and what I'm thinking in terms of um what that would or wouldn't do for a parent to know if they have a diagnosis is more just for getting support in the areas that they have struggles with, which they may not have known until they have a child and have to deal with certain things that they didn't know were going to be hard for them.
1: Boy, that is such a profound point. Um, Sometimes parents don't realize that they have more control over their environment than children do. Um, You know, I can choose to go to the grocery store at 10 p.m. because it's not crowded, for example, but a child has to go to school and show up at this time and sit carefully, no argument, uh, sit sit quietly, no argument, you have to do it. So sometimes when, I sometimes say to adolescents, especially when they get toward the end of their high school career, this is probably the last book report you have to write. This is probably the last time you have to deal with a subject matter that you could care less about. In college, if you go to university, you can pick the courses you take. If you choose a profession, you choose the profession. Um, it gives you more degrees of freedom than you ever thought possible. Um, and, and, and so that's why sometimes parents don't get the struggle that their kids are going through is because they have more control over their environment than than kids do
0: with just a quick aside that would be a whole separate podcast that i don't want to get into because it's so um um what's the word contentious but yeah. uh adults have so much for our freedoms especially if you're white and privileged
1: Tell me about <laughs> and
0: heterosexual and etc etc so that's a whole other uh um, right thing that society has been dealing with during the pandemic, which I think is good. We're talking about lots of other constraints that are on adults um, that don't have the same opportunities as everybody else. But we understand that as a separate issue in general, Kathy's saying like at least if you're an adult and you know, you have the option to choose to go to the grocery store at a time where you're not as stressed out, we can put those in place, but we might need a coach to do that. I'll just give you one example, Kathy, like I find myself uh, so on top of certain things all the time, like no problem, stay on top of this, stay on top of that. I cannot for the life of me plan dinner (laughs) every day. It's like, oh, no, I'm starving and I didn't think about this. And now I have to eat because now it's going to be I have to do this and then I have to get my son ready for bed. But I I don't have time to plan now um and you'd think at my age by now i'd have figured out that i should plan in advance (laughs) to get my dinner organized um and luckily on the days that my husband's organized he's a wonderful cook and he does most of the cooking but um simple things like that maybe i just need a coach mike mike fields talked about his coach that he works with who helps him with things maybe a coach would say to me like Here's a way that is easy for you because I can't stand worksheets and like planning schedules and like, I can't stand that kind of stuff. So what's a way that would work for me that would make it easier for me to know that dinner is planned every day. That's just a side example. I don't expect you to answer my personal problem, but just as an example.
1: Yeah, no, I, I know someone who said he, he is time organized like crazy. He can, he can tell you the exact minute you're going to receive a report. But on the other hand, he is uh, visually spatially impaired, and his wife has the exact opposite. So he said, "When we meet up at a, well, you know, we one of us is in the, at the wrong corner at the right time, and one of us is at the right corner at the wrong time. You know, hardly ever run into her. You know, it's like." Um, <laughs> so yes, a coach is helpful, but but self acceptance is also. I I know you, Daria, and I know that you. <laughs> also are very zen and cool about that's who you are. Which brings up another issue here is validating who you are. Your point about some people have different advantages than others is is to me the it's a, it's a gift of of it's okay to acknowledge that and um and to learn about it. And to don't assume you, you know, don't don't believe everything you think is the way I, I kind of code that. But this validation of, you know, so If you could, if I could pan this camera around, I'm sure I look kind of uh, organized. There are more scraps of paper on my desk because I am an inveterate list maker. Notice I'm a maker, not a reader of my lists. So I am always struck with how calming that is for me. It has taken me years to accept the fact that the way I organize is to write it down. That is not how I execute. I don't go into the check. It doesn't make me feel good to put a check next to things. I thought there was something wrong with me. It never worked. And yet if I didn't write the list, it really didn't work. So for me, the acknowledgement that that's who I am, embrace it and go forward, laugh at yourself a little bit or a lot and clean up your, and and realize that when you clean your desk, that's an invitation to be not organized for the next few days because my desk looks good um it's it's really been a hard journey for me to do that um so we have to know what our strengths and our challenges are and not hate the challenges we've got to love those challenges we have got to embrace them and take a ride with them and validate them and model for our children that we can validate our our peculiarities our quirkiness our whatever our solutions because if we don't live in a world that lets us be self-advocates, we might as well just you know, t- go home because it's over. So one of the gifts of, of people saying who they are and living their truths and coming out of various, various dark corners is that they can validate and self-validate and be proud. And it is one of the most humbling, important experiences when um, clients teach me every day how to accept and validate themselves. And I realize sometimes privately I don't do that for myself, um, and sometimes I, I I'm in awe. I'm in awe, and and part of that is because of things like DIR models that say relationships come first, calmness comes first, self-acceptance comes first, and and if you really look at the developmental levels of the FEDCs all the way up to 16 you can look and every one of them has more self-knowledge and more self-knowledge and more self-knowledge and it's quite inspirational and it it turns into knowing yourself into helping society and um so that's why i love it that's why i'm completely hooked on it Um, any experience is good if it helps you know yourself a little bit better and what
0: i hear is celebrate individual differences celebrate individual differences and and that's one of the big uh, cornerstones of a DIR model that that differentiates us from other models is celebrating those individual differences. And and to me, that's really been a theme of the pandemic. One of the positives we're we're seeing a lot of this celebrating individual differences, and we're seeing a lot of people scared and not liking it at all. Yep. And we won't go into what that says about them because maybe you know they they need to delve in and understand why. But um, I think, yeah, like what you said is so important for us to be able to understand ourselves, helps us understand our children and empathize with our children and accept our children and really be able to support them.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and calm down about it, so to speak. Right. Yeah. 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 Any experience that helps you know yourself a little bit better is good. And then you can be nice to yourself. You can take yourself seriously or you can take yourself very lightly after that. And kids need that as a model. We all need that as a model. Yeah, and
0: uh, yeah, what what better note than that to end today's podcast on. Um, really, really awesome discussion. Thank you so much, Kathy. Uh, I think, I, I, I hope this helps parents struggling with this identity issue or, or whatever, just to to really, again, think about what are your strengths? What are your challenges? let's work with those strengths, let's accept our challenges, just like we aim to do with our children, no matter their diagnosis.
1: Correct. And Daria, let me just take this moment to thank you some, from the bottom of my heart. We have so many followers at Time Atlanta of the Daria Brown in affect autism. You have done so much for this community. I cannot tell you. It's just great. Wow, so thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you for using your particular superpowers in in the direction of making life better for children and adults with developmental uh, wrinkles. Yeah.
0: Oh, thank you, thank you very much. Um, Yeah, I just I just aim to bring what I know to everybody else and try and match up what I think other people are looking for. Um, And thank you, thank you. And it's fun. I do enjoy it. So, (laughs) thank you. Um, Okay. Great. And thanks so much again, Kathy, for listeners that want to read about what you heard. I have a blog post up at affectautism.com. I'll put links to some of the past podcasts we referred to and some of the, the uh theories and other names that Kathy mentioned. So check that out at affectautism.com. Thanks a lot, Kathy. Thank you, Daria. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through icdl.com by using the promo code, AFFECTA15. That's A-F-F-E-C-T-A-1-5. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through playful interactions.